Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. I read a stat the other day that was like, I think roughly a third of all hunters across the nation are baby boomers. Mm -hmm. In the next decade, a lot of those people will stop hunting and stop being advocates to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a third of our population that Mm -hmm. cares about some of these places. It's also a big chunk of the funding that pays for conservation. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inland. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle Lee. Welcome back for another episode of the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle Veet on the mic as always, and I am up in Bella Vista today hanging out with the Arkansas Chapter Chair of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Mr. James Brandenburg. James, thanks for coming on the podcast. You bet. How are you? I'm great. I'm very hot. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. It's very warm out there. Blistering, some might say. Yeah. Yeah, I've been walking to work, and I walked to work today. It's about three miles and today was the first day that I hadn't really, I didn't badly sweat through my shirt. Yeah. But then when I came home at lunch, I was like, ah, can't oh, do that. So hot. Can't do that. <laughs> this is uh, this is our second time actually getting together. It's our mulligan. <laughs> yeah, this is our mulligan. We, for for our listeners, we had a a uh, appointment a week ago basically to get together, and we sat down and we had a great conversation. And we recorded it all. And then we got back, uh, and our SD card was completely corrupted, and we lost all the audio, which is a bummer. But um, it makes for a good story and a good <laughs> yeah. reason to get back together. Yeah, and definitely. have the exact same conversation. Let's hope. Let's hope Let's, it's as good, if not better. Exactly. We're always gonna try to improve. Yep. Yeah. So thanks for coming on. Um, I'm excited. I, you know, one of the reasons that um, that we got together was I just, I've been learning about BHA, you know, you reached out and we were talking and um, just kind of, we have a lot in common in terms of like what we're interested in and, and um, what we're passionate about. And the things that BHA does, um, I thought would be cool for our listeners to hear. So just wanted to have you on the podcast to, to talk about what you do, how you got involved with BHA and, um, and why, you know, people who hunt and fish should care and and why it matters to them uh, what's going on and, and maybe even talk about some specific local issues yep. um, here in the Ozarks and, and in Arkansas in general. So um, that's what I want to talk with you cool. about uh, today. So for anyone who doesn't know, how would you describe backcountry hunters and anglers? I would say we're a public land advocacy organization. That's my shorthand for it. Our tagline is we are the voice for wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. Um BHA started out west in the early 2000s, around the time that there was a lot of talk about divesting public lands, federal public lands, and returning them to state control. Okay. And, um, you know, what basically started as a very small seed, it took a while to really get going. But um, 
you know, the last half of, of the last decade, so the last five, six years, BHA has been the fastest growing conservation organization in North America. Wow. Um, we currently have around 40,000 members. It's pretty evenly split east and west. It's pretty politically diverse. You know, we don't track really one way or the other, left or right. We've, you know, we have, you know, a third independent, a third republic, and a third democrat, you know. Wow. But, but what unites us all um, under this banner is this idea and this belief in what we have as our American, if you want to call it our American birthright, yeah. you want to call it um, this great thing that we have that's public lands and waters and the fact that they're ours and we can go we can go access them and use them. And, um, you know, we have hunters and anglers is in our name. And so those are the things that we work for, you know, we're not, we're not out there building mountain bike trails, but you know, any of us who use public lands, you know, we would welcome their membership in BHA because we're out there trying to keep public lands in public hands. Right. Right. Exactly. And that that does ultimately impact people, not just hunters and and fishermen, anyone who's going out. And I think about some of the areas around here where people just go out and take their dogs out and on a walk or they're going hiking or they're just accessing public lands to go camping or just spend time outside. Maybe where, you know, if they don't have land themselves, private land, they're just going outside to to be in the woods. And And think about another thing, too, that we enjoy, especially here in Arkansas, is great stream access right i don't know if you guys noticed when you when you came across the bridge over here there's probably people in this creek down here there were yeah they were swimming and they had chairs set up in that creek and it it has become in the last five years just like this destination for people um you know once they put in the greenway everybody saw it and you know we enjoy that too um we can go escape the heat if we want to um you know, another thing that public land provides everyone, regardless of whether you sit in your apartment all day long or, you know, you go out and backpack for 14 days in a row, is is its habitat. It's protecting headwaters of streams. So you've got water quality that can be impacted by positive public land management. There's just so many benefits to what we have here in this country that um, – that come from from that public land that was I don't know if it was I mean it was purposefully set aside when when the idea came about but it still um was almost kind of a happy accident yeah yeah so how did you get involved with BHA and and how has it kind of evolved into the Arkansas chapter cuz it hasn't always been that way right right um Arkansas uh, was originally part of the Southeast chapter and went from Arkansas to Florida. It had seven states, Arkansas, Tennessee, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida and Arkansas. Yeah. I probably counted all of them extra <laughs> right there. Um, and um, so that chapter was formed in 2017. Okay. It's a pretty diverse chapter. Oh my gosh, it's huge geographically. Yeah. If you look at the how much population that chapter represents of the whole country, you know, it's just Florida alone is 20 million people, right. more than 20 million people. Yeah. Um, so it's huge, huge geographically, huge in terms of species, huge in terms of issues, but that was a way to get 
some type of a chapter formed in the area. So yeah. they were all lumped together. Okay. Um, in, I, I think it was 2016, uh, I was on vacation in Colorado with my family and my kids had, had drug me into the out, not, they didn't drag me into the outdoors, but they had gotten me into the outdoors when my oldest son was eight or nine at the time he wanted to go hunting. Okay. And my wife's family has some private land up in Missouri, had a farm. And so we went up there, my in-laws took him hunting, he shot a doe and he's like, this was great. I love it. You know? Yeah. And that he was interested. And then my next youngest son was interested and I started doing the math. I could see, I I got three boys. I have a father-in-law and a brother-in-law. Maybe I should learn how to hunt. So I got my, I got my hunter's education card and started hunting and, and all of that. So we're out in Colorado in, in 2016 and we're driving around. You're seeing all the signs. This is BLM. This is National Forest. This is blah, 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 blah. And my kids are like, Dad, what does that mean? What is what is National Forest? Right. And I had no idea. I didn't know. I mean, I, I had the concept, right? Yeah. It's the U.S., the government owns that. The government's like. We can't do that. We can't go there, son. So I look it up and I, like, you know, I just pull out the phone and we start reading about it. I'm like, well, this is interesting. It says it's public land and we can do this and we can do that. And I start kind of looking into it. And I'm like, guys, we can go out on that. Like all those little roads and stuff. Yeah. Those are actually there for us. And so while we were there, we we were we had done a college visit in Gunnison. Okay. And we were driving back. We were staying in Lake City and we were driving along and I just see this you know, this gate, you know, and it's, I think it was BLM land that we were on. Yeah. And I'd go through the gate, put the gate back in case there was anything running around out there. And we just go driving out, you know, to go check it out and see what it is. And, and this was just like, like the scales came off my eyes and I'm like, this is awesome. Like yeah. we got all this stuff we can go do. And, and then I'm like, and we have national forest in Arkansas. Mm. Yeah. So now all of a sudden in my head, I'm like, there's places we can go do this kind of stuff. Yeah, your gears are turning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so I come back and I kind of start looking for adventures on public land and kind of thinking about that. Um, probably started listening to the Meat Eater podcast. I know that's how I learned about BHA in the first place. Okay. Heard about heard about it on the Meat Eater podcast. Yeah. And then we had the we had the the election the presidential election in 2016. Okay. And I had discovered what public land was and that it was someplace I could be. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I wanted my sons to be able to experience it. And then I'm paying attention to the election and I hear some of the stuff about divesting federal public lands. And I'm like, what is this all about? Yeah. You're like, I just found out about this. Please don't take it away. (laughs) That's exactly what it was. That's exactly and so, and then BHA pops up and I'm like, well, there's an organization that's trying to keep this from happening. I'm going to join this organization. Okay. Okay. So I joined BHA. Um, then the Southeast chapter starts and then they're like, hey, we could use people to help out in Arkansas. And I'm like, well, I mean, I, I'm here, yeah. I guess. And nothing really came out of it at first. Like they had somebody who was kind of interested in doing it. And um, this would have been in 2017. Then come along 2018, let's say probably 
September or October 2018. They kind of put the call out there again. They're like, hey, we're still looking for help in Arkansas. And I'm like, hey, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. And I so I talked to some of the leadership of the Southeast chapter then at that time. And they said, hey, we'd love to have you help out, you know, if you want to organize some events and, and whatever. And by this point, I was like, this is important to me. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in a little bit here and, and do what I know how to do. Yeah. So they put me in touch with Clay Newcomb, who they had been working with a little bit. Okay. Um, just, you know, they knew that he was a public land guy and this was, you know, he was just kind of coming onto the scene a little bit. Clay was involved, but really didn't have the bandwidth to or the desire to really be a like a chapter leader or something like that. Right. But he kind of knew what was going on and he told me he'd help me out however he could. And um then I talked to a couple other people and I just from that point, that would have been late in twenty eighteen, I just started going out and meeting people. I put on three events, put on a pint night in Bentonville. I put one on in Little Rock and I did one in Fort Smith. And I probably met over the course of those three events, 60, 50, 60 people. That's pretty good. Just for like putting a call out there and saying, hey, show up if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. And I just went into it and I said, hey, I'm going to work on standing this up and, and, and doing BHA in Arkansas. What's important to you? Yeah. Like what kind of issues are important to you? And so I got a, I got a whole bunch of feedback from people. And, and actually several of the people who are on my board today attended those very first pint nights. Yeah. And I've, and I built really good relationships with those people because they had the same interests I did. Right. You know, and I didn't know, I didn't know those people were out there. Yeah. When I, when I started what I was doing. And I'm, I'm sure you learned from them too, as you were going and, and hearing what they like what mattered to them and what issues were relevant to them. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, because you're up here in Northwest Arkansas, but you're talking about you went down to Little Rock even and you're listening to people around the state. Yep. I'm sure you learned a lot. Oh, I learned a ton. And and the first thing that I learned is that I had no idea about much that went on in Arkansas. Yeah, okay. Like real, like like truly, I, I was like, I'm a, you know, a emergent hunter mm-hmm. for you know, for lack of a better adult onset hunter, if you want to call it that, right? <laughs> so I just started hunting, and and I had been fishing a little bit longer than that. And I knew I know the White River, you know, but my hunting experience, my, I I don't think I had ever hunted on public land. Yeah, at that point of time. Okay. Um. So I just start paying attention. I'm like sponge. I'm just soaking it all up, listening to all these different things. But what what I never wanted to do was be like. I didn't want to come in here and be like, well, this is what BHA is going to be and I'm going to make this whole thing up. Mm -hmm. And then nobody wants to be part of that. Like I wanted to hear what was important to other people and what our membership was interested in and then go from there. And so that's what I did. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to do it, kind of bringing people along as you form the organization Mm -hmm. and so that they feel like they have a part of it part in it versus saying like, no, this is what we are and this is what we're going to do. Yep. I'm sure you got a lot more engagement. And then, so at what point did it go from being, um, Southeast chapter to Arkansas chapter to Arkansas? So started in late 2018, roll into 2019. Um, I was involved in the Southeast chapter leadership, paying attention to that, but my heart was here in Arkansas. Um, as I think is pretty normal for anybody. Yeah, sure. And there had always been discussion about, 
at some point the Southeast chapter breaking into individual states. That's the model mm-hmm. that BHA has. Right. Tennessee did it in 2019. And we started talking about it pretty robustly late in 2019 that, you know, I had, I had a, a good interested group of volunteers. I had, um, you know, we had had some successful events, small events, just gatherings and yeah, whatever. Yeah. But had shown the capacity to grow membership and engage with the different agencies and whatever. And there was a couple of other states that were really doing well with that at the time. And so we're like, hey, this is a good time to really probably break up a little bit. Yeah. And so we all made a plan for how to do that in Arkansas, Georgia, and Florida each got their own chapters and um and then Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama stayed together as the Southeast chapter. Okay, gotcha. And and that happened in June that that was official in June of 2020. Okay. So, so in the throes of COVID. Yeah, right in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Gosh, man. But I'm sure that that's uh that helped a little bit to obviously you're now focusing on Arkansas issues. Mm-hmm though you're starting in a pandemic and that's kind of a bummer and maybe hard to get people together, you got to be excited at that point to say like, okay, we don't have to necessarily focus on issues on like the coast in Florida because we're not in the Southeast chapter anymore. Now we can be a little bit more relevant to to our home. Yeah. And the model was always to build out state leadership in each one of the states and really focus on those issues. And the Southeast chapter structure was set up to, to be that. Yeah. Um, And that's, and I always worked within that, that structure to just recruit more people to to the Arkansas leadership team, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then from that, I just kind of, and this was the guidance that I was given, was just run it like your own chapter, yeah. but you're part of the Southeast chapter. Okay, yeah. And so that's what I did. You know, I still, if I needed a check for something, I had to go to the Southeast chapter for yeah. it or whatever. But, you know, end of the day, it, it they gave us the autonomy to run it as we saw fit which is which is really probably one of the cool secrets about BHA is that it's a grassroots organization. Mm-hmm. What's important in Arkansas and what we focus on here is what we pick. And yes, the national issues are important. We're going to pay attention to the national issues and they're relevant everywhere. But, you know, if we want to pay attention to what's going on with CWD in Arkansas and make that a big thing, we have full autonomy to do that. Right. As long as it fits within the, the tenets of, of the national, the, the North American organization, mm-hmm. go for it. Free game. Yeah. That's cool. So how do you guys now, you started in June 2020 as a, an official chapter. Yep. Uh, how do you guys now do what you do? Like what, um, what are the, some of the things that you guys do to try to get people involved as well as like, how do you actually enact policy and actually make change happen to protect public lands? Yep. Let's let's kind of start with the some of the policy stuff. So okay. BHA is is an organization that is dedicated to the policy of public land management. A lot of that, well, it happens at all levels of from local all the way to federal. But we have a very strong presence in Washington. Uh, our membership is extremely engaged and willing to engage with their elected officials. So, um, 
you know, I think we talked last time pretty extensively about the Land and Water Conservation Fund and right. getting funding for all of that and the Great American Outdoors Act. And um, and we can come back and kind of fill in the gaps on what those things are. But our membership jumped in with thousands and thousands of phone calls and emails to encourage Congress to pass these laws that dedicate funding for all kinds of outdoor activities, not just hunting and fishing. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that we do. Right now, the big thing in Washington is the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. Okay. As we speak, it's either it's either it's very close to a vote in the Senate. It's already been voted on in the House of Representatives. And that is a that's a an act that will allocate a certain amount of money every year to go it, it goes out to the states. And what it goes for is to for the states to enact their the plans that they have to write to manage threatened and endangered species or species that are at risk of becoming threatened and or, or endangered. Okay. So these are most most of the time non-game species. So we're not going to hunt them. We're not going to fish for them. Okay. But it. But the states are still charged with writing those plans and then implementing them to the extent that they can and protecting those species. Okay. Well, guess what's good for turkey and quail and deer and whatever else that we hunt? The same kind of habitat that's good for these native species that mm -hmm. are at risk of being put on the endangered species list. Yeah, which is basically like natural habitat. habitat yeah, exactly. That what public lands would ultimately have. Yep. And so this, so we're uh, advocating pretty strongly for recovering America's Wildlife Act. Um, that's what we; those are the kinds of things that we do at the national level. Okay, it's really working in Washington on policy related to public lands, wildlife research, or not wildlife research, but wildlife issues and and things like that. Gotcha. And so, at a at a local level, then, th what we do as a chapter is we we work to. Number one, spread the message about our national priorities. Number two, we're going to engage on state-level priorities. So we write a chapter plan each year. We identify the things that are important to us. In January, we, we usually do it in January. We had a, a big meeting. Um, talk, we had probably 10 different things that we kind of talked through and then zero in on stuff of what we want to work on. Are those just surfaced up from the membership? It can be from the membership. A lot of times because we're on the board, we're going to be more engaged with the different agencies or elected officials or whatever. So some of it comes from just paying, we pay more attention. Right. Um, but absolutely it can come from the membership. I mean, if somebody has a you know, I'll give you an example of something that has kind of surfaced from our membership here recently is is the the interplay between mountain biking and wildlife habitat. Mm, okay. Okay. So there's a big push uh, within the state to capitalize on the mountain biking craze. Sure. Yeah. And we have millions of acres of national forest. Um. And so it's a great place, could be a great place to hunt, could mm -hmm. be a great place to put in a bunch of mountain bike trails. That's true, yeah. Okay? Um, too much of any one thing is is probably not, not a good thing. Right, yeah. And so um, 
that was an issue that was has kind of been elevated and bubbling up from our membership here in the state for a little while. Yeah, that's very relevant right now because, I mean, you come up, especially in northwest Arkansas, you can't go anywhere without seeing mountain bikes cruising through Bentonville, going mm-hmm. off on the trails. And I personally don't want to be in a spot where I'm bow hunting and I see a mountain biker go by. I know. Uh, one of my board members talks about how when he goes to Weddington, takes his boys out to go squirrel hunting. Mm-hmm he can hear mountain bikers all around him, but he doesn't know where they are. Really? And so he's like, I don't feel comfortable shooting a twenty-two yeah. rifle out there because I just don't know. Yeah, it's true. And so, you know, responsible mountain biking is not our opponent. No. It, but but the issue is let's develop that responsibly. And we don't even have a position statement on it necessarily, but that's an issue that our membership has said, hey, are you guys paying attention to this? And yeah. I'm like, yeah, we yeah. are paying attention to Very this. Cool. And because we engage with uh, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, the, the Office of Outdoor Recreation, you know, state legislators, and build those relationships – when we have a question about stuff or we have an issue, we can have a, a very cordial conversation to just ask them, like, what do you guys think about this? Right. What are you looking at? You know, this is our position on it. Um, we're a little bit nervous or, or have you thought about these things or whatever? And so we're able to represent the broader hunting community through our active engaging just on whatever the topics of the day might be. Yeah. Um, ways that we get people involved. So in our chapter, what we've defined is three, three types of events that we, that we, we kind of put them in three buckets. We have social events, which in, within BHA we would call them, most of the time we call them pint nights. Okay. But we also have been doing uh, a series of events this year called Bows and Brew, yeah. which is you get together in the morning and at an archery range and have your coffee. That's yeah. the brew part of it. That's the brew. And then, you know, sight in your bow, do a 3D shoot, whatever that is. Yeah. So those social events are designed to build camaraderie and fellowship, swapping ideas, and just building advocates and, and friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to get people to show up, you know, a random person to show up for a service project if they don't have somebody to go there with. Right, yeah. Now, now we get that for sure. We get random people show up all the time, but you want to you make it fun. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first thing that we do with social events. And sometimes we'll pair that with some education. You know, we've done CWD talks, we've done fishing talks, turkey talks, um, all that kind of stuff. Do you guys have Game and Fish come out and mm-hmm. give those kind of lectures or talks? Yeah, a okay. lot of times we'll have Game and Fish come and do that. Okay. Um, so... You know, but but anybody really who who feels like they're an expert on that type of stuff, if we could bring somebody else in, you know, it wouldn't have to be game and fish. Yeah, but right. That's the resource in the state a lot of times, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, the second thing that we do is service events. So similar to a social event, you're still building camaraderie and fellowship, but you're taking the next stage and you're actually going out and doing something. A lot of times, this takes the the form of some type of a public land cleanup. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in September, which is Public Lands Month, we have a um, we call it Public Lands Packout. Okay. So we schedule events all over the state and just get together and just grab as much garbage as we can. Um, just picking up trash. Yeah. In 2020, um, down in Central Arkansas at the Lake Winona WMA, 
they filled a 36-foot trash dumpster. No way. Like, filled it overflowing. Oh, my god! And so many people that showed up, not just not just hunters and anglers. Um, wow. So they just, I mean, and that's one example. We've done it at Weddington. We, we did, um, if you're familiar with the Glory Hole Falls Trail. Okay. Um, we did that a few weeks ago. Um, and it, and it's smaller places too. I mean, um, we had a board member who lived over in Batesville and there was a boat ramp over there that they adopted and just first they had to clean it up and then they just had to keep it clean. Right. Yeah. Maintain it. Mm-hmm. So we do stuff like that. Um, you know, it could be trail building. It, we do, um, we have a mobility impaired hunt that we work with the forest service and the game and fish commission on in, and we have a couple of blinds down uh, one's in Weddington and one is in White Rock. Mm -hmm. So that's another service opportunity to help, help the mobility impaired hunter. If they help them get to the blind, help get them situated. If they get something, help them get it, you know, help them, um, recover it. Okay. So, I mean, you get the idea. Service events, right? Yeah. Gotcha. The third thing that we do then is signature events. And this is where COVID completely derailed us. Sure. Yeah. But we finally, this year in March, we were able to do the black bear bonanza. And yeah, what is that? You were telling me about it, but um, tell tell the audience what that is. Yep. So Black Bear Bonanza is the is the celebration of the world's greatest reintroduction of a large carnivore, which happened in Arkansas. Okay. When the black bear was reintroduced in the fifties and sixties, and that's what it was conceived as, and it was kind of the brainchild of um, is actually the Missouri chapter originally that kind of had the idea for it because our bears here in Arkansas have expanded up to Missouri and Oklahoma. Okay. So they're like, hey, let's all three get together and put this deal on. Cool. And so we, you know, they got a hold of Clay. They contacted me. And they're like, well, you guys think about this. And, and we started working on it. And we were going to do it in March 2020. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were two weeks away from doing it. And we're like, uh, <laughs> maybe this isn't the right time to get a bunch of people together in a small space. Yeah, man. That's like right as everything was getting canceled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we put it on hold and we finally had it this year, the first weekend of March. And um, it was just an all day family friendly event. Clay came out. Um, uh, did I say Clay Newcomb? I don't remember if I said Clay Newcomb yeah. or not, but Clay came out and um, and he did uh, he did a, a bear fat rendering. We ran an owl hoot contest. We he recorded a podcast, yeah. one of his bear grease render podcasts That's out there, so cool. and we did a biologist panel, and um, and we had the the large carnivore biologist from Arkansas and Missouri came okay. and just talked about black bears, and mm-hmm. people got to ask him questions, and That's cool. it was amazing. Like we had people lined up at the door at nine o'clock when we opened, and it took hour and a half or so. People wandered in. And then they came in and they sat. We had it at the quail barn here in Bentonville. Okay. And they came in and sat there all day long and listened to all this different stuff going on. We gave them breaks, of course. Yeah. And we right. had all kinds of other stuff going on. We had um, Lynn, Sc- Lynn Scambato, who runs a, um, over in Western Benton County, she runs a, a raptor. I want to say it's a raptor uh, like recovery oh. deal. Yeah. Um, so she rehabs you know, raptors. Like hunting birds. Yeah. 
animals? Well, like just birds in general, just okay. like big birds in okay, general. Okay, gotcha. So she brought a bunch of them out. Very so we, cool. so she was there. Yeah. Like people got to see those. We had Snake Mountain pack goats there showing off their goats. Dang. We had the Game and Fish Commission brought like giant snapping turtle and their raptor guy was up to talk to us and we had food trucks. Yeah, man, that sounds like a blast. It was. Were kids able to kind of interact with the animals and like mm-hmm. were kids showing up and? Oh, we had tons of kids. Yeah, and, and that was. Part of the part of the problem we had counting our our total attendance was we sold tickets. We sold a family ticket, so so your family ticket was twenty five bucks, mm-hmm. and the whole family gets in. But we didn't know <laughs> we don't know how many people came in. Yeah, and we, we know how many family tickets we sold, but gotcha. we didn't count how many people came in on a family ticket. Man, that's cool. But we think we had between three and four hundred people there altogether. Wow. Which, if you remember, in early March we were just coming off the backside of the um that big covid spike yeah that's true so people were like yeah do i want to and they just showed up yeah i guess at that point people were like i just want to get out and do something you know what i mean it's like it was right at that time it's like it was spiking but you were also just like gosh i'm so ready to just like be normal again we had people here from idaho we had people drive up from texas and over from pennsylvania really specifically for the event you're kidding now, it wasn't a ton, but we, I mean, we had people from that far away. Dang. So, um, and that was, that's because Clay is, is that popular, right? Yeah, sure. But he came, he was there all day. He gave us his, you know, his best of just everything that he talks about and does. And it was a great day. So yeah. that's our, that's our signature event. Gotcha. Okay. Now we'll, we'll probably, we might do some other ones yeah, in the future. a little bit. But but that event um, was, as far as I know, still is the largest uh, event that a BHA chapter has certainly put on any time during the you know after the pandemic started. Yeah. But but what I was told is it's the largest event that had like is completely chapter run. Wow! So like we did it all ourselves. Yeah, we got a little bit of help in terms of some raffle merchandise from right. HQ, but otherwise, like, we just did it. Yeah, you put it, it on and a lot of people showed up. Yeah, that's and that's awesome. a credit to the, you know, hard chargers in Arkansas, I guess. You yeah. know, we're just, we just get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, awesome event. Sounds cool. We'll have to check it out next time. Uh, next time y'all do it. Yep, I assume March it'll be back. 4th of 2023. Okay, <laughs> we'll be there. We'll be there. So uh, let's talk about some issues that you guys have tackled here in Arkansas in the last couple of years since you got started. Okay. The the thing that folks are going to be, might be familiar with, um, started in July of 2020. So we had been a chapter for a month. A full month. <laughs> and uh, we were trying to run a sweepstakes at that time. We didn't even have our bat, uh, bingo and raffle license to be able to do raffles. Like we were doing a sweepstakes okay. to try to raise a little bit of money. And all of a sudden um, we hear that there's this, something about this public land in East Arkansas that's that the university is trying to sell and start digging into it. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was the, the pine tree uh, research station right. issue that we were, that we worked on. Yeah. And what, what that was is you had the university of Arkansas's division of agriculture had, has uh, about 12,000 acres in East Arkansas and that land was 
originally made public land as a result of a depression era um, program to move farmers off of sub-marginal farmland. Right. And this was way back in the Great Depression. I mean, this dates back almost 100 years. It's getting close. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 90-something years, 80-something years ago. Okay. Okay. So... So the the U.S. government bought the land in let's say the late late thirties early forties. Okay, they rehabbed the land, and even a, a lot of the people who were moved off of it did stay around and helped fix it up. And there's a lot of families in that area whose who their ancestors had given up their land, sold their land. They, okay, they were paid for it. Yeah, um, but it was it was marginal farmland, so it wasn't worth much. And then in 1960. The Division of Agriculture, Agriculture um, purchased that land from the Forest Service. Okay. And part of the law, it's called the Bankhead-Jones Farm Tenant Act of 1937. Okay. But part of that law states that any property that was purchased through that program had to remain in public use and couldn't be used. It, it listed out a bunch of things that it couldn't be used for, like industrial purposes or you know, corporate interests or anything like that right. had to be kept in the public in the public domain. Okay. So there were some stipulations, basically. You yep. couldn't just buy it and then do whatever you wanted with it. Yep. Okay. Okay. So that transferred then, that there was, a, there was a clause in the deed to the university that if the property ever went out of the public, out of public use, that it would revert back to the Forest Service. It's okay. called a reverter clause. And so you fast forward the university bought the land, they paid for the land, they used it and did research on it for a long time. Yeah. And as part of that, they people hunted and fished out there and, and the Game and Fish Commission managed the public access for quite a while. Okay. You know, they ran permit hunts for deer out there and they did projects together to enhance um, fishing access and things like that. And then the university decided that they were going to sell part of that property to some private interests from Memphis. Mm-hmm. And it was, there was a guy over there named Michael Burns who suddenly just found out about it. He he had applied for a, a permit, a deer permit out there at Pine Tree and didn't get it. Yeah. He called the Game and Fish Commission. He was raising cane. Yeah. And, and the lady on the other end of the line got, kind of flustered and is like, I don't know why you're making a big deal about this. They're going to sell it anyway. Yeah. And he was like, say what? He's like, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and Michael is the kind of guy who has no problem calling his elected officials and asking what the heck is going on. And that's what he did. Yeah. And he started raising awareness about it. Next thing you know, um, people are sending emails. There was a woman who sent an email to um, Cal's Week in Review, one of the Meat Eater podcasts. Right. Uh, Ryan Callahan is on BHA's North American board. So the email kind of circulates back to us. Yeah. Like, hey, right. do you guys know anything about this? Yeah. And parallel to that, we had kind of started hearing about it on Facebook here locally. Right. Just from the people. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, just a little tiny bit. And we're like, well, let's look into it. Mm-hmm. We start looking into it and we're like, guys, this is why we're here. Yeah. It's time. It's, it's crazy. It's though, go time. Because you were a month in. Like you had just kind of launched your chapter and all of a sudden you have this thing. It's like in your lap. Like, okay, yep. take it and run. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So we're so we're basically 
you know, fighting to keep 6,300 acres of public land from being sold. And we were probably weeks away from that, that sale of that property closing. Yeah. I think that's what blows my mind about like when, when I was reading the articles about it and we were talking about it, how close it was to being like a done deal basically. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew about it. And like, this is public land that people use to hunt and fish all the time. And it was like not a public information. It wasn't public information that people knew it was going to be sold. Right. But it was about to happen. It was, it was done very quietly. There was a lot of, um, there's a lot of whispers and innuendo about who's getting rich off the deal and all of that. And, mm-hmm. and early on, what we learned is that we had to stick to what we knew and we had to work with the people who could get it stopped. Yeah. And so, um, so we had a couple of legislators from the area. Um, Ron Caldwell was the state senator that um, the property was in his district and representative Steve Hollowell was the other was the rep, the state rep who um who had it in his district and and those two guys basically just picked it up and brought it to to prominence yeah. across the state yeah. and made it a big issue in the state legislature um we were down in Little Rock we were I testified a couple of times in front of the state legislature um you know we had there was different bills that were drafted to keep the property from selling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a crash course on how Arkansas government works. Yeah. Um, so much, it's, it's so much harder than just saying, no, you can't sell that. Mm. Um, and, and I learned a ton about government. I learned a ton about working with your elected officials. Yeah. You know, um, it took, so, so it started in July of 2020. We worked at it all through the fall, all through the winter. Um, got the laws passed at the, I want to say, middle to end of April that we got the laws through the state legislature. Now, right. you still had the federal law, right? And and this is an important point. You still had this federal law out there that would have said they couldn't sell it. Basically, that's the, the reverter clause. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But in in order to sell that property, what they would have had to have done was get that law amended. They would have had to get an amendment through U.S. Congress to be able to sell that property. That basically said, with the exception of this piece of land. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And interestingly enough, the University of Arkansas has actually done that in the past. Really? They owned some property down in Washington County and the law was amended to allow them to sell that property to a um, cemetery association. Okay. Which, if you kind of think about it, a cemetery association is kind of still a, a public use, right? Yeah. So we had we had all this back and forth, and we did this, and we did that. I mean, it it there was a lot of... It was a complicated process. Sure. We got the laws passed here in the state. And from the outset, what we said, because the whole reason that they wanted to sell it is that they needed, they said they needed money for rice research, for mm-hmm. a new rice research station. Okay. They, so they weren't just trying to cash out and get rich. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they had a grant that they needed matching funds for. And this was one way that they wanted to do it. Okay. But the collateral of that then is the, the local people who use that 
yeah. land to hunt and fish. Exactly. And and this is another thing we were talking about, how I've learned so much about Arkansas. Yeah. I learned a whole bunch about the Delta as I was going through all of this. And I realized that most of the history of the Delta has revolved around people coming in and taking, either taking from the Delta or taking from the people who are already in the Delta mm. and not leaving them anything in return. Oh, like taking their resources, uh-huh. using their land. Yep. You were talking a little bit, I remember you mentioned a lot of times, like this scenario, an out-of-state buyer will purchase a great piece of land and turn it into like a private duck club. Yep. Yeah, and that's supposedly what was going to happen here with Pine Tree is okay. that this was going to get divided up into three different, you know, probably three different duck clubs, a couple thousand acres each, you know, put a put a lodge on there, do a little bit of work to build some, you know, they might build some uh, green tree reservoirs on it or some moist soil units or something like that. Yeah. And and lock it up and nobody be able to go out there anymore. Jeez. So that is crazy. So we got it we got it stopped. Um we we wanted to we always said that if the university needs the money, let's all work together and, and find it a different way. Yeah. You know, if they want to sell the property, you know, there are we could sell it to the Game and Fish Commission, we could sell it you know, to a nonprofit group that that would keep the public access open on yeah. it. There's there's many different mechanisms there, mm-hmm. um, and and so much more nuance and background of that story. That I mean, we could talk for five or six hours about all the different things and the twists and turns that happened there. Yeah, I bet, man. But in the end, we got it stopped. Yeah, we got a, a long term agreement in place now for the Game and Fish Commission to manage the the public access uh, on the property to, to help manage the wildlife on the property. We've got some certainty about what's going to happen there. So it had kind of, there parts of it had fallen just into disrepair. The roads were getting bad. You couldn't get around on it. Mm-hmm. You know, the public fishing areas were getting overgrown because nobody knows who's in charge. Nobody knows who owns it or how long they're going to have it. And, right. You know, we had to, we had to, we had to really push to get the bad blood and the and just the years of bickering yeah. kind of tamped down in order to get to the point where now we've got this long term agreement in place. We got people working together to manage the property for everybody's best interest. And now we've got this resource that remains in the eastern part of the state where there's not much public and public hunting or fishing access. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading one of those articles, and there was a there was a quote from uh, like an eleven year old boy, and I think it was an article you actually wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to read that that quote um, because I thought it was I thought it was super impactful in in the way that it really like captured the moment of a young boy who was like, "This is where I hunt and fish," and yep. like they're taking it away. And the quote was, "Can somebody take away this rich person's money so he'll know what it's like to be poor, and then he won't try to take away our hunting and fishing land?" And yeah. like. That really, to me, put it into perspective. Like I had always kind of heard about BHA, but when I think about like protecting public lands, a lot of the time my mind goes to like Alaska or like the West and mm-hmm. like all these big chunks of land that oil companies want to buy and put a lease on it and and you know take the resources from that. But I never thought about it like here in Arkansas. Right. And like, what if you talk? What if someone was going to buy? Weddington WMA, like here right. in Northwest Arkansas, under the table, and then one day it was just gone. Right. And I couldn't go to it. Yep. 
Like, yeah. There's a lot of people that would be pissed. Oh, yeah. You'd have, you just, like, people would be out in the streets with pitchforks, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but the thing is, you know, there's all kinds of places like that all over the South, all over the East. It's a, you know, it's a 600 acre WMA or conservation area or whatever it's called in a particular state, right? right. It's the place where those people go. Um, and as, as so much, as our world has changed and you guys are younger and, and don't remember this as much. And, and I kind of remember it from when I was a kid. Um, you would just, you could just go roam and, and yes, there were places that were posted as no hunting. There were places that were posted as no trespassing, but the, but the default was more like, it's okay. You know, don't, don't ruin anything. Right. But you could wander and you could go. And if you wanted to go just run your dogs and, and hunt rabbits or whatever, you would do that. Yeah, no big deal. And we're so far away from that now with private property rights and, and things being hunting hunting property in, uh, in particular being locked up in leases and things like that, especially in East Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You know, so much property over there is just there's – it's farmed and then it's hunted. And, right. and if you've got the hunting rights on it, you've got it exclusively and nobody can come on it and whatever. Well, think about how do we get kids involved if they can't just go be kids and run around? They don't understand a fence or a purple paint yeah. or any of that kind of stuff. Now, it's our job to teach them those things. I'm not saying you just should turn them feral and let them just run around, <laughs> yeah. you know. But the point is, if you don't have a place to go, whether it's a 40-acre you know, public spot or, you know, a little place that is private that you can go to, you're just not going to learn how to hunt and fish. You're not going to gain that appreciation for the outdoors. Well, if we don't have advocates for the, for the wild places, why would we keep them? Yeah. The things that, that are important to us are the things that we'll protect. And, and, you know, it, that kind of plays into the whole discussion about that, that, I'm sure you guys have heard from from time to time about, you know, the the game species are the ones that we, you know, hunters and anglers care about hunting a certain thing or catching a certain fish or whatever. And so we put a lot of effort into restoring those things to make sure that we would have huntable populations. Right. And it's through our efforts that we still have deer, we still have elk, um, you know, trying to get quail, we're working on turkeys, right? Yeah, yeah. We have black bears. And if those people didn't care about those resources, they would be gone. Yeah. I, th- I think that's like the key The key point is a lot of what you guys do, you talked about doing social events and service events. And to a certain extent, you're like, okay, well, what's the benefit of a social event besides getting more members? But it's the aspect of if you can get people involved and to care and to build those advocates, you can you have more of a voice with more people than you have as one person who cares about this one spot. If you've got 100 people saying, no, don't do this, or we want to see this happen versus one, it's going to make a lot bigger wave. Mm-hmm. We were so blessed with the pine tree issue because we put that out there and you know, it could have been just this local issue that was just a deal in East Arkansas and the there's not a lot of population over there and it, it could have just kind of fizzled out, but we had nationwide support. We had yeah. over 2000 signatures on our petition to keep it public. 
we had, um, you know, had a mention on the uh, Cal's Week in Review podcast a couple of times, you know, articles in our backcountry journal. Um, I was able to to get a couple um, opinion type pieces published on the Outdoor Life website. Mm -hmm. It was an issue that resonated because you had something that was kind of done in the darkness suddenly brought to light yeah. and people said, Hey, that that's not right. And we let's not, like that. let's not take that away from, from these people who don't really have a lot of other stuff to, to work on. The best part of the whole, the whole thing for me was going down to little rock to testify and seeing the local people, which who I had gotten to know just a little bit. I mean, yeah, I'm sure. not like super friends with any of them. I wouldn't, you know, nobody's invited me to their weddings or anything yeah, like that. You're not but, going to Sunday dinner every week. Right. But but I kind of knew, got to know them a little bit. And when they showed up to testify the same as I did, you know, and I'm I'm in a suit or I'm dressing my business casual stuff and they're just there and they're, this is how they are. Yeah. You know, they you've got the guy who, whose family gave up their property, you know, some of their property mm. to become Pine Tree. And and you've got the people. You got the guy. There was a guy who testified that he had taken Boy Scouts out there to teach them valuable skills for the outdoors. And where else was he going to take those kids? Yeah, you know. And and uh, you know, I I want to say that we stood up and and did a whole bunch of stuff, but their voices were the ones that mattered to the legislature. Yeah. Legislators. It wasn't. It it wasn't so much mine. You know, I pointed out a couple of things in in the whole deal that were like, this isn't right, but. Their voices mattered way more, yeah. and to see them motivated to show up and and have their voices actually mattered, that was actually a case where you saw democracy. Well, it wasn't true. To, I mean, it was kind of democracy. In a, in a sense, you saw democracy kind of win. You did. You when I mean, you saw people stand up and advocate for something they cared about, and they actually made a difference. Yeah. For once, they made a difference. Yeah. David beat Goliath. Yeah. That's crazy. So it's such a cool story, man. And it just makes me like, even like it started with Michael. Like he found out because he was passionate about it. He wants to hunt and fish this land. But imagine if it had just stopped there Mm -hmm. and like you didn't have these organizations and you didn't have these collection of people to come together and say, no, we don't want to do this. Like the, the whole thing with, and it's really relevant today. I know we talked about this last time, but as we think about, Arkansas and Northwest Arkansas and the Ozarks and the resources that we have here, as more and more people move here, sometimes it's easy to kind of step back and say, like, I wish they would close the borders and <laughs> nobody can come here anymore. Get off my lawn. <laughs> exactly. But instead of, like, if we can have a mind shift, of, instead of turning people away and saying, no, we don't want any more people, if we can welcome them in and show them how to preserve and teach them about the resources we have and build that advocacy how then how many more people do we have protecting what makes this area special that's exactly it that's what we have to do because because they're not going to build a fence around arkansas to keep people out it's just not going to happen right and and so what we need to do as as ozarkians or you know ozarkers i never have figured out what the right way is to (laughs) say that ozarkian sounds pretty good (laughs) we'll roll with that okay so what we need to do is welcome those folks and say, hey, you know, we know you're here because you saw something that you liked. Yeah. Now let me tell you about the history. Let me tell you how we got what we got. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, you know, why why we have a one eight cent sales tax in Arkansas that helps pay for conservation. You yeah. know, 
l- let me tell you about um, how our Game and Fish Commission is constitutionally independent from the rest of state government and why that's important to us. Mm. Let me tell you about the Ozark National Forest, why it's here. Let me tell you about Weddington. Let me tell you about Devil's Eyebrow. Mm-hmm. You know, all these places that you love to to come visit that you probably think is have always been here haven't always been here. Yeah. And now that you're here, we'd love for you to just help us keep those wild places the way they are. Right. Yeah. So they don't go away. That's yeah. it. And and losing wild places is a big problem in Northwest Arkansas right now. So, you know, for folks who who are interested in that, um, you know, I would definitely encourage people to, you know, get involved in this idea of, um, you know, I don't want to say preservation, but looking out for places that are wild and special that, that we could work to preserve. Um, we have some groups, Northwest Arkansas land trust is, is a great organization here in Northwest Arkansas that, you know, they're out there actively working to conserve places that, you know, they're wild right now. And and the work they do can range from, you know, Ma and Pa have, have a 400-acre farm that they just don't want to see it broken up and, and built into a subdivision. Yeah, and We can right. do a conservation easement on that. Okay. Or they can find ways to, to actually purchase property that would help connect the different aspects of let's say the east side and the west side of i-49 down in the mountains mm, yeah okay to create wildlife corridors um anyway you know advocate for those places yeah, that's the takeaway everybody absolutely. get get involved yeah well it's especially important too because there was there was another thing as we think about uh, hunters in general i i read a stat the other day that was like i think roughly a third of all hunters across the nation are baby boomers. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what that means for the future, if we if we lose like a baby boomer I think is someone born from 1946 to 1964 which would make them 58 to 76 years old. Yep. So if you think about in the next decade, a lot of those people will stop hunting and stop being advocates to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um and that's a third of our population that mm-hmm. cares about some of these places. It's also a big chunk of the funding that pays for conservation. That's a good point. So that's something that we talked about last time as well is, you know, this idea of the, 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 the way that we get a big chunk of conservation money here in Arkansas and, and all across the country uh, comes from the Pittman-Robertson Act and the Dingle-Johnson Act. Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit more research on this since okay. the last time we talked. Yeah. Let us know. So Pittman-Robertson um, is basically an excise tax on um, firearms, ammunition, and archery equipment. Okay. So 10 11% in, you know, depends on the item. Um, it, it, was, it was passed in the 30s, mm-hmm. and it took an existing tax on firearms and mandated that that money has to be used – uh, has has to go out to the states for conservation, mm. and so uh, it's divided up. And and then Dingle Johnson is the same thing, but it's fishing equipment. Okay, okay. And so the way that they do that is based on the the land area of the state and the number of licensed hunters in the state. Oh, okay. And so it's a it's a formula. Yeah, and. In order to get that money, 
each state has to has to agree that the license revenue will not be used for any other purpose other than for conservation. Gotcha. So the the state legislature can't go in and and raid that license money to do other things with. Yeah, to put in like better schools and public transit and stuff like that. Right. It has to be conservation. Yep. And so um I want to say in Arkansas it's around it depends on things like gun sales and and some of that type of stuff. So, you know, it's it's typically higher at some times and it's lower at other times depending on how rabid people are about um you know being worried if they're going to lose their guns or whatever. Yeah, right. But um it's around 20 million dollars a year, I think, that that come to the Game and Fish Commission as a result of hunting hunting equipment, you know, guns and and archery equipment no and way. fishing equipment. That's a ton. It's a huge part of their budget every yeah. year. And that's based on part of the formula is how many people are buying hunting licenses mm-hmm. in the state. Yep. And fishing licenses. Yep. Golly. And so if those one if we lose one third of those people in Arkansas, yeah. we get less of the overall revenue. Golly. Yeah. That's a huge, huge uh man, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. You got we have to think about the future and, and I think now too, I mean that this is like the old curmudgeon in me is like we got to get these kids off the video games, and <laughs> yeah, out into the woods and out on the rivers and fishing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but it's true, like we we have to keep building advocates uh, for our natural resources for sure. Something that we have taken on as a chapter um, that we're working on, and we I think we talked about this last time, is is to try to get uh, a college. BHA has a college program, college mm-hmm. chapter program. Okay. And so we're trying to get one of those started at Arkansas Tech. We'd, we'd welcome the opportunity to start one at any college campus. Yeah. It's, it's very similar to the way that we started our chapter here in Arkansas. It's like, what do y'all want to do? Right. We're not, it's not us mandating or dictating or anything like that. It's, it would be interested students. We need an interested faculty member or, mm-hmm. or advisor. Um, we have some interest at Arkansas Tech right now, so that's okay. why we're working. Yeah. But the thing that we're working on there is if you think about that 18 to 22-year-old range, and you guys are a lot closer to it than I am, mm-hmm. but you know, that's when you you have some disposable time. You're on you're getting close to having your own disposable income. Right. You're you can get yourself around. Yep. And that's the time to to introduce people to the outdoors if they haven't been introduced before. Right. If they're interested in hunting or fishing, to bring them along in that journey. And if you do it at that point, a lot of times you're creating an advocate then that will they'll be there for the rest of their life. Yeah. Um. So so we've chosen that uh, that college. Uh, program as a way as a way for us to to build those advocates and to try to you know as opposed to going off and doing like going out and and doing youth hunts like dedicated youth hunts and and everything like that where you you know kids come in and they they hunt and then you never know if they ever get back out there because is there anybody to take them right yeah they had someone which is a lot of the times you mentioned it earlier, you kind of have to have someone to take you. Um, and so if you can 
if BHA can kind of play that role to, mm-hmm. to take someone out, or even even I've heard of some initiatives around just like take someone fishing. You know, instead of going with the same three guys you go with every single time you go fishing, mm-hmm. take someone new who maybe hasn't done it before. Mm-hmm. Just getting people outside, you don't realize how big of an impact that can make. And 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 something that goes along with that, you know, it's one thing to grab somebody and take them to your favorite fishing spot, and you just go straight there, and you don't ever, you don't give them a spiel, yeah, so to speak, about right. this is th- this is what it is, and this is this is okay. You can do this, and here's here's the other ways that you can find other places to fish. Mm-hmm or hunt or whatever. So we we spend some time talking about that, like trying to break down the barriers that keep people from going out on public land. The same way that I didn't know that I could go out there. Yeah. And then once I did know I could go out there, then I was like, well, what's okay? What are the rules? Right. You know, what you know, there's rules and there's laws and yeah. then there's like what's acceptable behavior. <laughs> yeah, guidelines. Right? What are the guidelines? I, I wanted to make sure that I understood what the acceptable behavior was too. Mm-hmm. So we try to help do all of that stuff as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this. I, I think it's really important. It was the, for me the first time I kind of, some of this stuff hit home, especially reading about Pine Tree, just realizing like, oh, that could be a public piece of land over my way that's mm-hmm. not in East Arkansas that could be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if if our if our listeners are hearing that, uh, I think that will resonate with them too, especially here in the Ozarks. Because we do have a lot of public land. I mean, I think you mentioned it last time, but something like 3 million acres of national forest. Almost 3 million. We have about 3 million acres total of, of public land in Arkansas. Okay. So it's pretty close to three million of that is the is the national forest the bulk and then, of it. then the state owned or the, the Game and Fish Commission owned properties and different things like that that you know all put together is ten percent of our state is public land. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and we don't wanna give up any more than that. I mean, we don't want all that to go back to private land. That's right. We'll we'll try to preserve as much as we can. Yep. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It was fun to get to do this again. Um, take two, our mulligan. Yeah. Hopefully we won't have to do this a third time. Oh my gosh, I don't know. But but maybe we can, just because. Um, but thanks again. Uh, for our listeners, if y'all like this episode, make sure you share it with a buddy and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And thanks for listening. See you next time. This podcast is hosted by Kyle Veet and produced by Daniel Matthews. Thanks for listening. Until next time.